podcast at Ground Zero is presented to you by the Apocalypse. Because without the Apocalypse we wouldn't be doing this show. Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Podcast at Ground Zero, your home for the apocalypse for episode 82, off topic number five. I am the apocalypse nerd, and he is Adam Bomb Glancy. Welcome to the wasteland. Welcome. Pull up a corpse, sit down, get in close to the fire here on this, uh, in this post holiday pre 2020, last, last few days here of the, uh, of the of the teens, we'll be moving into the twenties. You may even be getting this as the first uh, broadcast of the twenties, the Roaring Twenties. Oh, the Roaring Twenties. See, Love Lovecraft has come full circle. We now live in the twenties, like we always wished we had. Oh boy, let's hope that uh, they don't bring back uh, flapper uh, dresses and uh, prohibition, because I need to drink, and I I need women with curves. Holy cow, those, those are the only two things that are going to get me through the 20s. <laughs> Maybe we can end it with a stock market crash. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. But uh, let's see here. Well, yeah. Well, you know what? Some people disagree with you about uh, flapper dresses. Uh, but there's, we, there's plenty of people in, our, in the Lovecraft community that uh, enjoy their flapper dresses, Scott. I know, I know. I'm just saying that uh, I like a little de- decotage. And uh, that flapper style turns women into... Um, a shape that resembles a, a, a tube of toothpaste. Uh, <laughs> well, well, in the apocalypse, we don't have a lot of choice. So, well, that's that's again the good thing about the apocalypse is it, it blows up most of the clothing. So um, you end up with a lot of. Apparently, the only thing that survives routinely is the the, the leather from the fetish gear store. You know that that always seems to survive for some reason. That, that and the sporting goods packs. store. <laughs> yeah, the sporting goods store that always survives. Shoulder pads, you know, well, because, you know, they're, I think they're designed with anti-apocalyptic material. <laughs> well, plastic, which will yeah. be long after the rest of us. All right. So um, what do you want to bring to the table here for off topic? Uh... Off topic. Well, we do. Again, we're doing off topics because we started this format and we kind of like it because we could talk about a plethora of different apocalyptic things without having to have a single focus. Because you know how hard it is for us to focus. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's not good. Um, one thing I want to talk about is not that anybody could see it. I already showed Scott is um, I got my copy. I've talked about the Mutant World, Son of Mutant World uh, Kickstarter that came out uh, earlier this year, you know, with uh, Jan Strand and uh, Richard Corbin. But I got my I got my hardcover. Uh, it's. It's pretty. It's a pretty. Oh, I didn't even show you, Scott. I mean, not that anybody's gonna be able to see that. That's the cover without the dust jacket on there. Very nice. Very nice so, picture of uh, what's Dim's uh, daughter's name. Uh, you know what? I don't remember. But uh, yep, Dim's daughter uh, riding a bear, part of the bear cav, as it were. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's real, it's really nice. It's um, what is your name? I'm trying to look here now. The uh, thing that you pointed out to me that I will throw out while you're looking that I did not know is mm-hmm. that Son of Mutant World was originally just in black and white, and that as part of this project, uh, Corbin's daughter, I think you said, had yep. gone back through and re-inked and recolored all of the uh, black and white images, and they're looking, they're looking really good. They're looking oh yeah. Really good. Because it was originally uh, the Sin of Mutant World was originally uh, an anthology comic book, and there was, and I think it originally came out in France, and then it came, then I think it came over to the states. It was fought in, it wasn't all just Sin of Mutant World. It was like, kind of like a, a heavy metal or Epic magazine or 1984 magazine. So there's like a compilation of other stories in in the comic book, and it was all black and white on cheap uh, newsprint. It wasn't really good quality stuff, so. Part of putting this out was to put it all together to have it inked. Uh, it's really, it's a really good quality book. I still have my original Mutant World on the shelf that I got back in like '84 or something. Me, me um, too. But you know, the hardcover. I mean, it wasn't terribly expensive, uh, but it's nice and it supports those guys. For, you know, because again, those guys aren't doing a lot, a lot of new stuff necessarily. But um, it's, it's good. It's, uh, it's, it's nice to have a nice copy of this. I don't know if it's going to be available uh, commercially at all. But Cor- Corbin was always one of my favorite illustrators. I just uh, right up there with Von Bode. Uh, they both had this incredible, just this incredibly strange style. You know, everything was his his reality as you see it through his il- illustrations is always just just slightly off from reality in a way that's uh, uh, really interesting to me. Um, not quite as what? as lurid as say Jack Kirby, but he, he does a, his, his style always fascinated me, but a lot of his stuff he bases off of uh, using real people to do, use the base models. Like uh, like part of part of the back of the book has the covers and other stories and um, little bits of information about the origins. And a lot of the stuff he does, he like a lot of the characters he did poses pictures of himself mm-hmm. of those characters before he did, did them. So they're based off of you know real physical um uh you know people it's not just he didn't yeah. just make them up he like took a picture to create the character so he you know keeps the proportions and lifelike uh imagery like even though it's kind of off it's still it's still it still looks realistic you know yeah, yeah. and again it, it does have a i don't know it's like a it's like <laughs> it's both photorealistic uh and uh, and and uh and and then at the same time slightly skewered. Um, I guess it was it, it, some of his some of his art and his use of color reminds me of like if Mike Mignola who did Hellboy, um, if his illustrations were somehow done is as plush or soft. You know, there's a there's a uh magnolia stuff always has this very angular sharp edged everything um to his world and corbin doesn't he is the exact opposite um yeah it's 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 softer you're right and um uh it just uh it it just you know it it reminds me of a world made out of uh, uh, soft sculpt uh objects you know even a rifle almost has uh, uh, 
a, a feel to it like it's not like the kind of slashing illustrations that you would get from a guy like uh, Jack Kirby or Mike Mignola. I happy to see uh, Richard get another dollar in his in his piggy bank because he has done nothing but turn out good work for for decades. Oh, he's done a lot of stuff. You know, uh, he's known for Den. Uh, he's done. I think he even did a. Um... Dagon, uh, uh, a Lovecraftian thing too. It was a cult. Was it called Dagon? There is a there is a thing he did recently that was kind of a fall of the House of Dagon or something. Or, or that was uh, that I did not I did not pick up. Unfortunately, I was going to mention he did the Punisher story, the end, which is the bombs have dropped and the Punisher emerges from his bunker once the radiation levels have gotten down to the point where he can survive his last mission. He's not going to live, but he's going to survive his last mission, which is to find the fallout bunkers of the people who were in charge that, you know, the generals and the, the politicians and the industrialists who brought this apocalypse about, brought this nuclear war about, find their bunkers and kill them. Well, so, it's, a no, it's a noble cause. That's That seems like pure D Punisher to me, you know, that seems like a that seems like a Punisher mission to me, and he he did that one. Speaking of apocalypses, he's delved into the apocalypse a couple of times, so he's always gonna. We're always gonna be thankful for Richard Corbin. Yes, and uh, and let's be honest, Scott. You know when you originally discovered him, you were an adolescent, and we know why you why. Oh yeah, and, and we know why. And we know why any adolescent likes Richard Corbin for his uh, depiction of the female anatomy. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say that uh, what was it? Uh, secondary sex characteristics are very important. Um, I remember, I think the first thing I saw that was Corbin was the cover he did for the first issue of 1984, which is the the naked woman tied to the rocket that's taking off in a kind of, it, it kind of reminds me of like a, a Salem witch trial or Salem, a witch burning, like, you know, they're tied, you know, with this all the fire below with the, the rocket taking off. But yes, all the chains are appropriately placed so that you can uh, sell it behind the counter at 7-Eleven is, I think, where I saw first. But yes, uh, it was Boobies Ahoy with good old Richard Corbin from yes, the word I, go. Yes, I have to say that besides, you know, post-apocalyptic mutant world, I think that also was something that, again, an adolescent uh, like said, hey, uh, this is neat. <laughs> you know? Well, I always loved, Richard was always very uh, equal opportunity with his with his oversized nudity. Yes, Let's he was. Honest. Yes, he and, was. There was this hilarious interview that I read from him in some uh, copy of Heavy Metal I have, where the interview wants to start talking about Corbin's homosexuality, and Richard's like, wait, what? What do you mean homosexuality? And he says, well, you draw these enormous penises. He's like, I draw enormous boobs, too. And he's like, yes, but you wouldn't draw a penis unless you were gay. I mean, that seems to be like the interviewer's, you know, main focus is, well, you wouldn't draw a penis if you were unless you were gay that's just impossible you know i'm like he was a he was an equal op opportunity sexual exploit okay yeah. sexual exploitist yeah i think that's a fair description of richard Corbin. yeah yeah we um, got you got big boobs and nudity but you know you got you got big everything and nudity on both sides oh yeah you got dicks you could trip over in den and some of those stories yeah you just watch your feet when you're running through <laughs> other world yeah know? Trying what? to stop the minions of Cthulhu spelled backwards. Or what What was it from uh, Heavy Metal, the movie? 
no hair. Mmm, big. You know? <laughs> <laughs> One of John Candy's greatest roles. Truly, truly. Right up there with Uncle Buck. Uh, I miss John Candy. So, um, what else have we got for our off-topic besides uh, your new Mutant World books? Uh, Mutant World. Uh, well, let's uh, let's stick to Kickstarters for a moment. Uh, there is cur- well, there was previously. Uh, are you familiar? You're familiar with the board game franchise Zombicide? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Daniel Gellin, a friend of mine, loves painting those miniatures, and they have a Walter style miniature, so I feel included. Uh, they came out with one of their uh, uh, Zombicide standalone game, not, not, not another expansion, uh, an endless expansion, uh, for a short Kickstarter, which is gone, but you could also do a late pledge or wait till it comes out in retail, is they did a Night of the Living Dead version. Now, that's the original Romero Night of the Living Dead. Correct. Not the, not the Tom Savini remake. Nope. Uh, based off the original, and it seems like they've done some tweaking to make it uh, fit the genre better. It's because it's a li- it's more of a limited game. I think there's like an hour. They say it takes about an hour because it's basically you got to survive the night, see if you can get through the, you're in the house and you got to work together. So it's, they- a straight, it's a straight siege scenario. Players are cooperative Correct. versus yes. the game. Correct. Yep, they tried to recreate uh, the Night of the Living Dead uh, scenario there. So uh, I saw that. Um, uh, I backed it for, you know, I already backed it for a dollar because I wanted to decide whether I wanted to back it for the Kickstarters for the couple of exclusives or just wait wait till it comes out in retail. I'm not sure what I want to do yet, but um, but it's supposed to come out next fall. Uh, but it's it's Simon Games, you know, again, so Zombicide. So I, that, I haven't bought the other ones, but that one interested me because it's standalone, doesn't need any of the other stuff, Good. and it's a siege scenario, Night of the Living Dead. I, I could get behind that. So, so who are the uh, playable characters? Because I noticed that Bob's brother is actually included as a possible playable character. Yeah, they basically get uh, everybody involved. Um, uh, you know, he's playable. Um, he's like an exclusive. Uh, you know, the sheriff, the deputy. You know, this, they got to give you a variety of characters. You know, okay. the, core, the core game doesn't have him, uh, but the, the the Kickstarter exclusive stuff has some additional characters. So okay. Cool so it, it's not straight up, you know, exactly like it because they have what they call Romero mode, which is kind of like them weak and scared. But as they love, they could kind of get more powerful, like a zombicide mode, so they could kick ass more. But they could easily go back to Romero mode again, so they could go up and down. So mm-hmm. it, it seemed interesting and seemed more like because all the other ones are these big elaborates and, you know, expansions and this and that. It's like I liked how it was finite. It's like you're at the house. You got to survive the night. That's it. You yeah. know? No, that sounds great. Uh, I was into that. And there's currently a Kickstarter for this, uh, the Starship Warden. So if you've heard us talk about uh, Metamorphosis Alpha before, uh, James Ward uh, worked with, I can't remember the artist's name, but they worked on it for like two years. They, and Troll Lord Games, who does. Uh, uh, what is it? Castles and Crusaders. Uh, yes. Okay. They are doing the Kickstarter for this. James Ward worked again with the artist. It's it's Chris something. I don't remember. I guess I should have uh, pulled it up here. But you can just look up the Starship Ward and Kickstarter. It's uh, they have mapped out completely all seventeen levels of the Starship Warden, the dome, and the between decks. 
completely mapped out. Jesus. The entire ship. Everything. Um, now, there's been a lot of confusion. Now, is, seen... there a, is there a guide to go along with the map to tell you like a numbers on all the areas of what this area is or what this corridor is or it's like a it's like a six seven hundred page reference book basically oh that's what it God. is oh my lord that it, is some top shelf nerding it you know you go to level one and it shows you a big map and then you as you continue through it it shows a breakdown of each of the little sections on level one then you go to level two so it's more of a reference guide to the whole ship um there are some other uh the backer levels are kind of weird, you know, because it's like, oh, you just want a digital copy or you want a physical copy, but not a digital copy. But then you have to add it on, whereas a lot of Kickstarters will give you the phys- uh, the digital with the physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't do that. But then there's going to be an all digital and there's some really expensive levels, which I'm not behind because there's all this extra stuff that I don't want. Uh, but they have some stuff that they're going to do for add ons like uh, digital maps. So you can have like print out the maps, you know, because. So, Having a one big reference book is great, but it's like, well, I, I can't really work off this for the maps. You know, I need other copies of the maps. So, yeah. But they're going to put, they're going to, they said they're going to change stuff up and put some digital packages together with all the digital stuff, all the map, map packs, and there's some adventures. Because the big thing is it's set in their universe, which is, I think, um, I'm trying to remember what their universe is because they use, uh, Siege, uh, oh my god, you know what, I have to look this up now, I'm sorry. Uh, hold on a second. <laughs> we can always edit this part out. Uh, I gotta look it up now, because it, use, it uses their system, they have like a, they have a fantasy, uh, a space setting. For their called, fantasy setting. For their, fa- they have a spa- space setting, it's called C. Alright, so they had a, they have a space setting, they came up with fantasy rules originally. Yeah, and then they have uh, they're in Starship Warden. Yay! Okay, I got it pretty quick. It's um, I think it's Star Siege is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it uses the yeah Star Siege RPG, which is a Siege Engine game because I think Siege Engine is their core system. Okay. So uh, Star Siege is their space setting, kind of like their answer to like Traveler kind of kind of thing. So or they, Star Frontiers. Yeah, Starfighter. So they've kind of set it in that universe, not the Metamorphous Alpha universe, you know. Because, but the problem is, the Warden is Metamorphous Alpha, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so there's been much confusion on what they've posted here about what are the rule sets. But according to James, who's posted on Facebook a couple times, because it's very confusing is that apparently both sets of rules are in the book. Okay, so there will be old Metamorphosis Alpha rules and the new the new rules from their, their what's it, proprietary rules that they own. From my understanding, and even they say that the rules conversion would be easy, because I was asking about that from the beginning. So, yeah. uh, But just for the fact that, you know, to have the, just for the resource of having the entire ship uh, mapped out, is cool. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty amazeballs. Because as we know, uh, people we've talked about before, we've talked about Metamorphosis Alpha, because Metamorphosis Alpha is the apocalypse in space. It's a dungeon crawl in space, and it's a post-apocalyptic dungeon crawl in space. Yeah. And you know what? And it is the first. It is the first 
sort of post-apocalyptic role-playing game that I am aware of. They even, I think it's even credited as being the first science fiction role-playing game. Yeah, I, uh, I think you're right. Uh, setting it in a kind of uh, orphans of the sky setting. Uh, I think you're right. I think it is the very first sci-fi role-playing game. Because it, it predates uh, Traveler. Predates Gamma World. Yeah. Uh, what, el- what, what else was there? Uh, I don't, I, I can't think of anything. I mean, Mark Miller's in there pretty goddamn quick with Traveler. Yeah. But I, I, I think Metamorphosis Alpha is first. So, so that's there. So, you know, if you're really interested in that, folks, uh, if you like uh, the apocalypse in space, Generation Ships, this is one to back. I've actually seen a beta copy of the print book, and it's, it's like, it's like this. It's a phone book. It's a phone book. It's 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 it would be considered a tome. <laughs> That's what I so want. It's, it's a tome. It's yeah, it's pretty big. So, uh, but you know, there's gonna be some modification. I'm just waiting for the because there's so many add-ons and stretch goals, and I'm waiting for the the dust to clear so they redefine their digital levels, so I can just pick and choose what I you know what I want you know because I really just want the core book and the maps. I don't want. I don't need all the extra adventures. I don't want all this. I just. I just want. I want the book and the maps. That's it. You know, for me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that sounds like it's worth the uh, <coughs> worth the price of admission. So that's a couple of Kickstarters things that we've had that are going post apocalyptic. Um, let's see. Oh, I'll just add one more thing. Then we can start talking about uh, some movies and TV we've run across. Is uh, in the past, folks, we had uh, Benjamin Wallace on, who did the Duck and Cover Adventures, which were a post uh, a tongue in cheek post apocalyptic book series, you know, starring the post post apocalyptic nomadic warrior. Uh, there was currently there was four books in the series. He is now finished and published uh, Crossroads of the Apocalypse, which is the latest in that series. Series. So I've read all four of them, and I enjoy them. They're you know they're tongue in cheek. They're very lighthearted. Po- they poke fun at all the post apocalyptic tropes. You know, uh, sometimes I've read them. It's like eh, it gets a little hard to get into, but it picks up and they get better. So all the t- you know, like that's why I think it's like you know what's he going to do with this? This is again kind of well you know this that's pretty cool. You know, so I, th- I think he does a good job with them because again it's very tongue in cheek and very trope uh, f- making fun of Laden. Yeah, yeah. It um it's uh it, it was a. Uh, a fun read, uh, sort of a you know quick fun read. Um, it even when it was sort of you know uh, parroting uh, uh, and poking fun at it, its, its genre, I felt like there were moments in it that felt kind of real. You know um, uh, that that sort of surprised me. So uh, absolutely enjoyed his books and uh, look forward to the new one. You know what it kind of reminds me of is you, you're familiar with uh, it's well it's been around for a long time <clears throat> it's been off the air for a long time was Me- Metalocalypse. Oh yeah, <laughs> it it kind of has that Metalocalypse feel because with Metalocalypse Met- Metalocalypse, um, Brendan Smalls he was making fun of the whole uh, metal genre, but mm-hmm. he also but he also loves the metal genre. And, you know, so like he, you know, he made fun of it, but it was it was an homage to it, though. Like he he was making fun of it, but in a kind way, you know, it made it funny without being insulting to it. You know, uh, the post-apocalyptic uh, 
pneumatic order series is like that. Like he's making fun of all the tropes of it, but he does it in a loving way to where, you know, it's a good time. And it's not like, like, he's not like putting it down. He's like, he's embracing and saying, Hey, you know what? We could laugh at ourselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's always worthwhile to embrace your own ludicrousness. I mean, (laughs) rather than get, rather than get overly, you know, protective and, you know, serious about it, you know, take yourself too seriously. And that just gives them opportunities to actually land a punch. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I agree that there is, it has that same kind of love, uh, for the material, uh, as it does for, and, 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 and acknowledging the tropes of the material. It's, it's a really good, it's a really worthwhile series. And I picked up, uh, some copies of it, uh, both on, uh, uh, both on, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, electronic format uh, Kindle, and through um, uh, ebook. Uh, not well. I was going to say on Kindle is the one I is the version I use. Oh, but it's, it's still it's still an ebook. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and um, audio Audible as a Audible format as well. Um, really worth your time. He's got a he's got some of his stuff bundled, so you can get it really cheap. So cool. So uh, that's what I, I got for now. I know uh, Scott's. Uh, got some stuff too uh he has, I, I just he's, got he's, some he's bookmarked i have bookmarked some uh some tv uh that's been going on some serious television um one that is uh not going on anymore and uh one that just won't stop uh, first of all um i noticed that um, i i, I kind of gave up on american horror story i mean american horror story I guess, you know, people are like, oh, it's the greatest thing in horror. And I tried to enjoy American Horror Story. And for the most part, uh, I don't know. It just, it always felt uh, like someone took a bucket full of plot and just threw it against the wall. I mean, it's, it's always felt very scattershot and all over the place. And when they said that, you know, it was going to be American Horror Story, Apocalypse. I was like, okay, me, it's apocalypse. I got to give it a shot. Uh, and I started watching it. And the, the, the first episode starts off all right in a kind of, you know, the balloons going up and some rich people have paid uh, for space in a shelter. But not only are there rich people in the shelter, there are certain people who have been picked to be in the shelter because of their genetic profile. And uh, because they used 23andMe, they were picked out, you know, and uh, like a a, a team of armed guys just show up at the house and say, you know, the bombs are falling. You know, we need to get you to a safe location uh, before we can transport you to your permanent, you know, uh, safe zone. Uh, You've got to come with us now, you know, or we're leaving, you know, without you. And uh, we'll go and pick up the second person on the list. And um, that was sort of interesting. But ultimately, it just turned into the problem with American Horror Story Apocalypse is it very quickly turned into American Horror Story, which was just about a whole bunch of really catty people being really shitty to each other for no readily apparent reason that I'm supposed to wait till the end of the season to somehow get a reward for having watched these people be terrible for 10 hours or so out of my life or whatever it is. And I, I gotta admit, I, I just gave up, 
you know, especially when they stopped being in the apocalypse and started jumping back in time and showing things that happened before and sort of linking this up into other seasons of American Horror Story, particularly the one about the Coven in New Orleans. And I'm just like, okay, I, you, you win. I will stop watching. Uh-uh. They, 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 they shook me off. All right. I could not stay on the bowl for the full eight seconds or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, it just didn't work. Now that's on Netflix. All this also on Netflix is a series that is not getting a second season called Daybreak. Uh, this is the high school apocalypse. Yes. I got, I got through two episodes of that. Okay. They break the fourth wall all the time they uh the main character you know talks to the audience all the time um it's it's, it's very all... it's like it's like uh ferris bueller in the apocalypse yeah it right down to having good old matthew broderick as the principal of the high school before it gets nuked and um you know it's it's apocalypse is, is high school as post-apocalypse all the jocks have formed an army of raiders. Uh, other groups uh, from high school have joined cliques. Um, the Chirmazans, who are now radical feminists who just murder every guy they run into. And um, all the adults have turned into uh, ghouls. What do they call it to the, the, the adults? Ghouls or, or something like that? Uh oh, I don't remember. They yeah, they had some specific name for that. I think they called it because they that all adults are just you know wandering around, mumbling like the last words that were in their head before they got zapped by the chemicals or the radiation, uh, and um, uh, they're uh, they uh, uh, murder things and suck the blood out of them, sort of like vampires, but more like it's their zombies. You know, adults are their zombies. They're sort of cannibalistic. Uh, zombies except they're you know alive not undead they fill that niche and los angeles is is how did you boutique blown up do you know what i mean it's that it's a comfy apocalypse right there's not a lot of talk about where your next glass of water is going to come from there's not a lot of talk about radiation uh it's just various the thing is just set up for to do uh sort of comedy and uh you know uh sort of high school drama but uh, acted out on a post-apocalyptic stage and that doesn't make it bad um you know at all uh i enjoyed it but i didn't like drive straight through it right i i have not finished it i intend to i got maybe a couple more episodes i really enjoyed the matthew broderick material it's he's he is really good but yeah, it's not like Watchmen, which I just, you know, devoured almost in one go. I mean, the, you know, it, it's it's you know, hooray! Netflix made a thing. They're not going to get a second season, which is probably just as well. But you know, yeah, it's um, I enjoyed it, and I'm still enjoying it. Uh, your mileage may vary. Our last Netflix thing is, of course, the German TV series. Dark. Oh, well, well, just uh, all about Daybreaker. Um, oh, yeah, tell. Yeah, I'm sorry, you yeah. saw two episodes. What do you remember from it? It's like it, it's definitely tongue in cheek, definitely like high school apocalypse, you know. So that's what I had a little trouble. It's a little too young adult. You know what I mean? Not that there's anything wrong with young adult stuff. It's just that neither of us are young adults. Oh, you know what, though? I got to give them credit for one thing that I always wanted to see in a movie 
or a TV show or whatever where the main character gets bitten by one of the ghouls on the finger or something. And he's like, or, or his hand or whatever. And he's like, you know, uh, he's got to cut. I got to cut my hand off. So it gets his shitty katana, which is not just a shitty katana that you got in a head shop, but it really is a shitty katana. You know, like the one time he tries to use it, he hits a guy in the, the hand with it and he gets stuck in the guy's bone and they can't get it out which I oh yeah was... yeah it only went like part way through yeah it did just chop his hand off he got stuck in the bones of his hand but he's like oh god i gotta cut off my hand i've been bitten by one of the zombies i don't want to turn into him and he swings and he misses he cuts like his index finger off and he's like uh passes out and he's gonna try it again and somebody's like what are you doing he's like oh i got bit by the zombie i gotta cut my finger off he's like, it doesn't work that way that's only yeah. in movies you asshole and i thought Finally, I've been waiting for some shit where somebody learns something about zombies by watching zombie movies and tries to use it in real life. And it, it's, it's, you know, it does not work. You know, they've cut their, their hand off. I saved myself from the zombies. Dude, they, no, just wash it out with alcohol and take some antibiotics. You're fine. You know? So I was really happy when they went through the whole drama of, I have to cut my hand off. And he cut his finger off. He does not get that finger back. That finger ends up being transported around Los Angeles from scene to scene by crows and rats that are fighting over it. So <laughs> that was that was kind of, I really enjoyed that bit. But yeah, I, uh, I've been waiting for that scene to happen and Daybreak finally delivered it to me. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not all bad, but like, that's another, your mileage may vary. It's, it's like I said, it's very... I, again, I don't. Uh, it's not that I don't mind tongue and cheek stuff, but it was. It's too like. I don't high know. School. It's too high it's, school. It's too high school. Like it, it's f- that that age demographic. It, it almost seems like. Yeah. So, it's a little tough. It's kind of like, again, it's about it's all about getting old because like, um, our nieces and nephews were over recently, and just to show an example of age is. The popular thing with the kids now is this app called TikTok. You mean the one that's run by the... Is that the one that's connected to the Chinese government? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's very popular with the kids because it's all about... Because, you know, again, this society is all about, look, I'm on video, look at me, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's all about making these videos where you're acting out these songs and, you know, and they have to get it right. So whatever song, whatever crappy song was being played, some modern music crappy song, she did this like 20 fucking times in a row to get it right. And I'm not exaggerating at all. I'm not making this up. So so oh, she's, over, she sings over. the song? No, no. It, you hear the music and you're doing this whatever and mouthing it trying to make your own music video. But people use it for other things too. It's kind of like it's kind of like Vine like was almost. These short little yeah. things. But she's doing it over and over and over and over to get it right. You know, it's not like when we were kids. Let's take a picture. Okay, great. I'll see. I'll develop it and see it in a couple of weeks and I'll see if the photo came out. Yeah, you know, there's you know, there's no dailies like today. <laughs> we yeah, get instant feedback from the dailies. There, there's no okay. Here's my picture for today. This is you know after a hundred pictures to try to get it right, but over and over and over and over that same song. I'm like, okay. I even went, okay. You need to stop doing that now. 
you know <laughs> uncle jared's a little tired of that you know but it's you know but it's definitely designed for like i said that show i think is more designed for that younger demographic again not that there's wrong with younger demographic things but just sometimes they click with me sometimes they don't you know yeah. uh so that's that was my take on daybreak um Stuff that we don't have out yet to talk about. Uh, we did an episode about Black Summer on Netflix. Uh, they are going to have a season two. Woohoo! I don't know anything about it. Got to but... give Black, Black Summer credit. It sure took the fun out of the zombie apocalypse, didn't it? it yeah, it, it, it was not uh, fun, especially, you know, a lot of these people just didn't get it and... They were in trouble. So, oh, and they and then they got it. Those who yeah. did not get it got it. Yeah, they got it. Uh, so Black Summer's coming out sometime. Uh, I saw that they're going to making another train to Basan. Another, it's not. Yes, not it's not train to Basan. It's going to be train to something set in the same universe. Uh, I know that's being made. Yeah. Or uh, so I'll be interested to see when that comes out. You know what struck me is you know what Busan. We're, 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 we're saying Busan, B-U-S-A-N. Yeah. Um, but that's also that's the same place that is the Pusan, where all of the South Korean and American forces got pushed by the North Koreans in 1950 during the initial North Korean invasion of uh, of South Korea, right during the Korean War. That's their little, you know, Alamo last holdout from the Korean War that MacArthur came in and then did the landing at Incheon and cut the North Koreans off. And they broke out of the Pusan perimeter and retook, you know, Korea from the communists. So the idea that there could, you know, that, that they're in Pusan as, a, you know, their last holdout is sort of interesting to me. I wonder if it's almost a commentary on the sort of collectivization hive mind image that people have of communism in North Korea, like the communists are the zombies, you know, that's, that, that's a possibility. Yeah. But yes, there's going to be a new movie from the train to boot last train to Busan universe, which God knows I'm happy about that. Happy to uh, uh, say that. And by the way, I got to ask this question. Okay. This is just, I, I, I don't know the answer. Maybe viewers can tell me. Um, there's the, the TV series, the Mandalorian takes place supposedly five years after return of the Jedi. Is there a point in that, that we could refer to that as being taking place in a post-apocalyptic universe? That is to say all civil order has been smashed by the civil war and it's anarchy. I mean, political anarchy is a kind of apocalypse, I suppose. Uh, but does uh, if anyone out there has seen The Mandalorian, I haven't. Could we describe that as post-apocalyptic, or is it just that is it just not um, chaotic enough to be considered a, a apocalypse? Well, from what I know, I don't think so. Because well, it takes place on this certain planet and its moon, and that and th- those uh, the Mandalorians, which is I guess some kind of order religious order or something like that i don't know so they kind of had their own civil war i mean is there a world apocalyptic no because i mean people are still coming back and forth with spaceships and i i i don't i don't really don't think i my personal opinion i don't think it's really apocalyptic okay all right just just wondering how because again you know something like uh 
uh, Isaac Asimov's um, uh, Foundation series, to me, strikes me as an apocalypse series. You know, it's just a galactic apocalypse where technology goes backwards and sciences are lost and worlds become isolated and revert to, you know, from spacefaring to industrial to pre-industrial civilizations because they've destroyed the political order in the universe. That could be considered maybe a post-apocalyptic setting. Uh, even if they're still rolling around in spaceships, much like uh, the Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda series was post-apocalyptic in that there was an apocalypse on a galactic or uh, spacefaring scale. Much like, was it 66 Worlds? Uh, oh, uh, oh, you mean uh, Stephen, Stephen's game, 77 yeah. Lost Worlds? 77 Lost Worlds, much like 77 Lost Worlds. Yeah. Um, anyways, enough of the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah. I guess that, that's a debate for another time. You know, well, we've talked about what is an apocalypse many times, and apocalypse really could be anything. But you know, where do you draw the line? That's that's the question. Yeah, I certainly think it's about wrecking civilization. It's it's about wrecking the order, whatever it is. You can have, uh, and frankly, in some ways, you can make the argument that that Robert E. Howard's Conan stuff is set in Hyboria. In the Hyborian Age. And the Hyborian Age is the age that follows the destruction of an empire that ruled all of that continent through dark magic. And their ruling class are wizards, and they completely, and they had some sort of a apocalypse, a magical apocalypse, apocalypse that destroyed the ruling order, destroyed civilization, destroyed most magic which is why it's so rare in the Conan stories and, you know, sort of turned that once my, the empire, the uh, Acheron, uh, I think it's called into scattered kingdoms of Picts and uh, Sumerians and, you know, uh, Aesir and, uh, and, and Stygians and things like that. Um, but anyways, well, I, that even that's sort of a post-apocalyptic setting in a, in a sense. Well, uh, I've also read that uh, the Lord of the Rings is kind of a, supposed to be a like a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, it's, it's, a good point. It, it's what rose out of that. Uh, the same thing. With, it's, it's, it's very depopulated. You know, um, there's actually a lot of Middle Earth and not so much civilization in it, not so much cities and roads. And you know what I mean? Um, it's it's heavily depopulated by the fall of Numenor and the end of the second age. So that's, that's probably not a bad comparison. Yeah. Also, uh, what else is considered, uh, uh another fantasy setting that's, I was going to say it now. I can't remember. Um, you said Conan. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. Oh, 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 the, not Terry Pratchett, but, um, uh, shoot Shannara. Oh, I was trying to avoid that, but, um, Did you block that one out. Yeah, I read the, I read the original trilogy, and um, it you know, reading that reading those books makes me wish I was illiterate. Um, <laughs> there, there, but but that's a post apocalyptic. It's fantasy, but you know what? I didn't pick up on when I read those stories. I didn't pick up on there was some kind of past technological civilization, and that's what rose out of it. I didn't pick up on that at all at when all. I read those. I but read apparently. Sword. I read Sword is the only one I read. I never got that as a kid. But apparently that's what it was. Um, but it, but isn't also, um, what else is considered uh, 
Oh, I was going to say, you know, if you want to go fantasy, you know, uh, the dark TSR's dark sun settings was a was a yes, it was, is was apocalyptic scenario to to an extent, you know, because you know the magic burned the world. Uh, you could also even say uh, um, the Lankmar books, you know, Fafford and the Gray Mouser. I think those are kind of uh, I think that's considered post-apocalyptic kind of, but I could be wrong on that one. For something tells that there, me that there was some earlier age that, that yeah. has fallen to ruin. Yeah. I think um, so. Well, hell, uh, Lord of the Flies is post-apocalyptic. Yeah. You know? Um, but uh, speaking of TV shows, I want to get the last oh, yeah. one. You know, what? you know what? I think this is going to... I think we've just found uh, our next episode, Defining the Apocalypse. We've talked about it to some extent, but we could really talk about it at length. So I think yeah. that's going to be one of our upcoming episodes is Defining the Apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. What counts as post-apocalyptic? Um, and uh, anyways, the last TV show I mentioned on Netflix is uh, Dark. German series started back in 2017. They're, they're two seasons in. Uh, it is essentially a very bleak and uncomfortable show about time travel. Yes. And the time travel, as people move back and forth in the story in their own timeline, uh, affecting the past, which creates the future, creating paradoxes where this event can't happen in the future unless some, the, the, the same person in the future goes into the past to initiate it, uh, is really, it's a good mind twist. It makes time travel scary and uncomfortable. And unpleasant because time travel may demonstrate that we have no volition. We can't change anything, no matter how many times we go through time. Because it's cyclical. It's like it's it just circles. Like what X happens because of Y, Y happens because of this. But the problem is it gets to a point where it's a constant circle, but it had a start somewhere, and you don't know where the starting point is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it has certain connections to the very good cyclical film Triangle, um, which was sort of the same thing where you're seeing the cycle isn't just one time through the timeline; it's multiple times through the timeline is just one cycle, and it was a it was a very good film on that level that really played with uh, time travel and being dropped into uh, moments in the cycle that feel like. This is my first time through, and now I'm looking back and seeing, or I'm in my second time through, and looking back on my first time through, no, I'm not. I'm really on my second time through, looking down at my third time through, and yeah, it was a mess. But Dark eventually got around to an apocalypse, where you yes. get to the, they finally went to the future. The first few episodes were about going in 33-year jumps from like 2016 to 1953 to uh, all of the all the German broadcast rules about showing Nazi regalia or Nazi things, so they got to skip that. Um, but nevertheless, uh, 
it's uh, it apparent Jared has warned me that this 33 year cycle it was a big reveal at the end of the first season that you could go forward from 2019 to you know 2040 something and it was a big uh, 50 something yeah for, like 52. 52 52 i think yeah it was a big reveal you go forward to 2052 and it was a big reveal at the beginning of the second season that you could go back to 1920 well it's just going to get worse yeah uh, the the horrible future is really interesting to me on the grounds that it's german that's it i mean we don't get to see enough foreigners foreign apocalypses sometimes we get to see some canadian products and sometimes we i mean with uh uh what was the uh, russian one called metro yep the russians got to show us some of what their fears are the british have always been good at showing us apocalypses um one or two from the french you know but it was uh, it was it was nice to see the germans take on it what's their aesthetic uh, on the apocalypse and uh, 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 I think the top of their aesthetic is boy everybody's got scars because nobody gets to go to the ER I mean <laughs> everybody is just mangled in the future uh, to some extent or another oh yeah and it um, yeah it just it gets complicated but it gets more complicated because there are some Besides the cyclical going around and around and, again, you know, where they never go back to a starting point because there had to be a starting point to create the future, to send it back to create the item. But there was a point where it wasn't created or was it created? Has it always been that like that? It, it's very, it's very layered and mm-hmm. it, it, it starts and then like towards the end, it involves more than just time travel. It, yeah. it. It adds another fuck you layer to it, where it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, another, <laughs> another fuck you layer, because time travel and predestination weren't cooking your brain nope. to start with. Yeah. Now it's like, uh, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have a number of paradoxes where people and things are only created by things being out of order in time. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, I guess that's what we've got here. You know, it's it's a but it's a good series for the time travel aspects, uh, for the, and and it is a, uh, and and again for because they got into post apocalypse. I mean, when I saw that that part at the end of the first season, I was just like, woohoo! That's hooray! I was hoping we'd have some of this, and sure enough, they delivered. So, and it's it's ultimately leading towards an almost seems like an ultimate apocalypse. You know. Uh, like an end of things kind of scenario. So, uh, well, we'll find out what happens in, when season three comes out, which probably won't be till probably late next year. You know, but it is supposed to be the final season, and then it's over. Yeah, yeah, they, they can't keep doing that because it hurts. Yeah, it, it already. <laughs> yeah, they're running into each other on the time stream at different points in your life, and having the other side of the conversation you previously had or experiencing the other side of the conversation. Yeah. It's, it's rough. Yeah. It's or, rough. or like, you know, family lineages become complicated. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's bad too. And even uh, in the future, even in the future, well, how far are you into season two? Um, they just took um, Jonas when he was uh, trying to mess with the, the God particle. 
Okay. And uh, there was a whole thing where they hung him, or, or gonna, were going to hang him, you know. And he ends up with the he ends up with, with a the scar. Rope, scar around his neck that suddenly explains where that scar from the earlier season comes from. Oh, but, you know, that's just where I left off. Okay, yeah, because you see more about the person who's in charge, and like, oh, that's who that is, and oh, that's yeah. how they got there, yeah. and uh, the, it's... Little, the little deaf daughter from yeah, the, yeah. the, the yeah, it's oh boy. Yeah, folks, we're talking here, and we're getting some spoilers out, but don't worry, it's not going to spoil anything. Oh my god, the, the, there's there's one, there's there's pretty much a fuck you, you don't know what's going on per episode, you know? <laughs> they know you're watching on Netflix, they know you're going to go back and rewatch it to go, wait, where did I, hold on? <laughs> yeah, it's spaghetti, time is spaghetti. Yeah. So that's a good one to watch too, folks. I know we've mentioned that before, and uh, I mentioned one series on Netflix called The Rain. I think it's was it is that was that German or is that Sweden? I think. Was oh no, Swedish? it's uh, it's D- Danish. Danish. Um, I I think I'd given my opinion on it before to where when it got to be where I don't know, like at the end, the way it, they revealed everything got kind of you know, it's a confi- it's a it's definitely a confined apocalypse. Because uh, it's one of those things where something exists outside the world. But they came out with a second season of that. And I haven't watched it yet, but morbid curiosity is going to drive me to watch it at some point. I think I watched some of the second season. Was the second season the one that started showing who the guys were who were penetrating the quarantine zone? Uh, maybe. I think so, because there was they, they're showing, they start showing what's happening sort of on the outside of the quarantine zone. And who these people are who are going into the quarantine zone. And one of the things that, that comes up is the guys who are out there collecting blood samples and collecting the infected. Well, well they had that in season one, too. I think, okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, they're marooned. Once you go into the quarantine zone, you don't come out. It, your, your pay, I guess, goes to your, your giant pay, I guess, goes to your family. But you don't get to leave, you know, which I thought was a, an interesting touch because it made those mercenaries sort of nihilistic and desperate. Yeah. Which I thought was a good way to sort of explain their brutality that they're marooned there. They've made this decision to join this project to sort of, I don't know, uh, you know, save their family's fortunes or whatever, but they've, it's almost like committing suicide. Yeah. There's no, yeah, there's no going home. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I did like that touch of the series that going into the quarantine zone means that you are you are lost forever to the world. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, the rain has got a second season out, and I definitely need to look at that. Um, that had some, in some ways, that felt a little more young adulty than. Yeah, that did too. That was that definitely seemed young adultish. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it, it was also horrible brutal and ruthless you know at the, at the same time whereas I, I don't think daybreaker had that same daybreaker definitely took more of a tongue-in-cheek approach yeah. not not ruthless not ruthless at all um but uh yeah the um uh the uh the rain series definitely shows what happens when you refuse to shoot the, the sick person there's that one moment where the guy who's in the uh danish military just can't bring himself to shoot the woman who's carrying a baby and you know, she gets, and when he gets back to his 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 military camp, everyone's been killed by the disease. 
Yep. Because he, he couldn't pull the trigger. Uh, the, 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 the horrible cannibals, you know, yeah, that was, uh, the people scrounging in the ruins of Copenhagen. There's plenty of nasty, brutal stuff. They kill characters at the drop of a hat. Yeah. But in that's... some ways it also felt kind of young adult, you know, I, I don't, which, which is a weird combo. Yeah. Yeah. Cause part of me, it's like, Oh, this is kind of brutal. Then it's like, ah, Oh, look, it's, uh, I don't know, the Babysitter's Club. Oh, it's not that bad, but, you know what I mean? But a lot of it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know, would you say Apocalypse 90210, but with brutality, like yeah, a lot of... There, there, there is a certain of that, and part of it, I think, is related to the fact that the one of the primary kids, the kid who may or may not be, have been engineered as a carrier or something... Uh, is super immature yeah because he grew up in a bunker for what eight years or seven years yeah yeah he was only like seven or eight when it happened i think yeah so him being 16 he spent all of puberty in a bunker with his sister uh getting bossed around in i don't know however many hundreds of square feet so his behaviors are weird yeah and but they're understandably weird i'm willing to accept that he's making immature and, and childlike decisions when he's almost an adult. Uh, because he but, hasn't had the same experiences. Yeah. He's got the, he's got the Roy Batty problem where he's, yeah, only got the time, you know, only got a three year lifespan. But on the other hand, yeah, I, it, it's, it's still work a little, worth a look because holy shit, it's a foreign apocalypse, you know? And I always want to know what other people have uh, imagined in this, what they've come up with. You know, yeah. So uh, it's it's not bad. It's like I, I will eventually check out a second season. You know, just not right now. So what else have we got for uh, being off topic, sir? Um, I think that's all I really got for the moment. Oh, oh. I got one. I got one more. Oh, I got one more. Um, have I mentioned Hearts of Iron, uh, Old World Blues? I want to say yes, but uh, speak so we can see if it jogs my memory. Uh, there is a game made by Paradox Studios out of Sweden, I think they are, I think. They make a bunch of uh, 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 sort of games that are a little like Sid Meier's Civilization, but are um, a little more abstracted than that and um, uh, are always about like uh, they did um, uh, uh, Victoria, which was where you could play any Victorian era nation like the British empire or Texas or, you know, and, and, or Manchu China, and you could play out an alternative history all the way up to 1920. They had another one that was similar to that, which was about the Renaissance where you could, you know, be Saxony or Prussia or England or Ireland or whatever. And now they've got one called hearts of iron. It's very successful, which is your world war two game where you can choose how to, manage your resources to develop technology, which technology tree do you want and all that kind of stuff. Well, that wasn't good enough for the nerds. Nerds went out and built mods for Hearts of Iron. And one of the mods for Hearts of Iron that's been created is something called Old World Blues, where you can play the nations of Fallout. You can play Caesar's Legion or the New California Republic or uh, the uh, Brotherhood of Steel. Uh, there's an extra mod that goes back and adds the Enclave in. 
um, you can play the Great Khans or one of the other tribes uh, out in the American West, and um, you know, and you can uh, you know expand your tribe and uh, have uh, you know sort of development and technology trees like you would in Civilization, but it's in a post-apocalyptic setting, hmm. and gotta love that. You gotta love that. So you know, if if, if the, the uh, I haven't. I don't own Hearts of Iron because I don't have a uh, uh, I don't have a, a, a PC, uh, which is where most of the stuff is. Uh, I'm probably glad I don't because I was very addicted to Civilization when it was on Mac, and some other games that are like that resource management games. Victoria was on Mac, and I would play the shit out of that. But if there was a post-apocalyptic version of this where I get to build a nation from the from the ashes of of the war and I can name it anything I, you know, Scotlandia or whatever, you know, I would, I would totally play the, play that game forever. Uh, in fact, um, if I remember there was in fact a very cheap uh, 1990s game uh, like called this means war where you could rebuild civilization not really civilization, but you could just fight. You'd build these militaries through resource management and fight off all the other uh, groups that are rebuilding. You know, the, but it was set in a post-apocalyptic setting, basically. Hmm. And but it was it was uh, less like civilization and and, and more like uh, games like Red Alert or something like that. You know, or Tiberian Sun. You know. Uh, but anyways, yeah, that I, I bought it because it was post-apocalyptic. And if there was a post-apocalyptic version of Civilization, yeah, I would be it. And this is it. Um, I would say that um, uh, oh. Old World Blues for uh, Hearts of Iron is the way to go. Well, speaking of Fallout, uh, I still no new update on the Fallout role-playing game, which is going to be being put out by Modifius. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the people who uh, do um, Fallout the, Fallout, the Fallout uh, Warfare, and they do uh, Mutant Year Zero. They do a lot of RPGs. So um, I thought it was supposed to come out this year. Maybe it's not till next year. Uh, but still, no new information about when the Fallout role playing game is going to be put out. So um, still keep your eye out for that. And oh, one last thing I saw. It's not post apocalyptic, but I saw that uh, again. It's available through Modifius. But it's also available on RPG if you want a digital. Uh, I can't remember the the company produced it, but they put out an alien role playing game. Oh, all right. And, is it and, is it locked into the first movie or is it the whole franchise? It's the universe. It's the alien universe. All right. It's uh, right. I can't remember who who put it out, but they've created an alien RPG, um, which could almost be apocalyptic at times. You know, depending on what you, what you got going. You know. Because uh, it could lead to the fall of man, you know, uh, with the alien creatures. But uh, I was probably going to pick up the, the the digital version just to just to read the source material, you know. But there's a, it, it's 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 digitally it's available in uh, a drive through RPG. It's also available, I think, in hardcover from uh, uh, Modifius. So, but that that's out there. So all right. So that's cool that's so that's it for our off topic, folks. We talked about a lot of uh, a multitude of items. Um, what are we going to do next? I don't know. We have to talk about it. It's one of those things where, well, we want to do some books and some movies, which we, me and Scott will have to reconvene and talk about it. But at least we, at least we got a couple of new episodes out there for you folks to, 
keep to keep you coming back until we could uh, make some final decisions. But I think, like like I said, I think we're gonna have to do a what makes the apocalypse uh, scenario. And maybe, maybe that's a maybe that's an episode where maybe we'll uh, bring back some of our old friends uh, to have a, maybe one or two other people on just to get a little bit of a roundtable on that. I'm 100 percent behind that plan. So that's it, folks, for uh, this episode. So as usual. Thanks for uh, joining us, and like I always say, be socially responsible. And uh, I am the Apocalypse Nerd, and he is Adam Bomb Clancy, and we will see you in the wastelands. Adios! This episode of Podcast at Ground Zero has been brought to you by Hobo Soup. Hobo Soup, when you have to make do with what you got. Now available in Apocalypse size. Keep up to date with us by visiting podcastatgroundzero.com and subscribe to the blog via email.